Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we are excited to have Sarah Hayes joining us all the way from West Virginia. Sarah is a multi-talented artist working as a journalist, photographer, model, and author. Her latest book, Invisible Monster, has recently been released. So my dear, dear Sarah, welcome to the RV. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you're very welcome. And Sarah, you mentioned that you and your husband have literally grown up together. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have uh, 26 years. We high school sweethearts. It's actually, I go over it in quite a bit of detail in my book, but we... Um, we started dating. I was a senior in high school and he was a sophomore in high school. And then, you know, life happened and I ended up um, not be, not having a place to live uh, just three weeks after we started dating. And I moved in with him. We were in high school. So we, we have lived together for 26 years, not just been dating for 26 years. So um, we were kids and, and now we're adults with our own children one who is actually an adult too. We have a, our oldest son is 20 and then we have a 14 year old. Wow. So how old were you when you, we moved um, I, together? I was 18 and he was 16. I'm two years older than him, but we, we both just had our birthday in November. Like our birthdays are just a couple of days apart. Mine's the 22nd, his is the 25th. But so we just had our birthdays and then we started dating, um, uh, like a little bit over a month later. So, so we were newly 18 and 16. Congratulations. That's oh, thank, you. thank you. Yeah. You have two kids. You are having yes. a happy yes. life. And your story is one of hope and inspiration. Oh, thank you, you. I was preparing your episode and you mentioned that you were born in a log cabin with yeah. no electricity, <laughs> all running water, Sarah. right? Yep. Can you share more about your childhood? Yes. I was born in the seven late seventies, so you know they were a product of their environment, and they they started um, hitchhiking cross country, and then they just basically wherever they landed, that's where they they settled. But they. After going to Idaho and Texas and a couple places, they ended up back in Southern Ohio and we lived in a log cabin. Well, actually, first we lived in a teepee. I was born in the log cabin that our friends lived in. Um, and then we ended up living in that log cabin later. But um, yeah, uh, my parents lived in a, a teepee. They had, I, I have an older brother and he was two and then I was a, a little tiny baby and we lived in a teepee in the middle of the woods in Ohio. <laughs> well, that's uh, unbelievable, Sarah. It and is. 
And I believe that these experiences have undoubtedly tested your resilience and strength. Well, thank you. I think I was five when we moved out of that environment. We moved back to, um, to the Dayton area. So more of a, a city type area. So that was quite the culture shock because, you know, I was in the forest, you know, we didn't even have electricity or anything. And then, uh, then we moved to a ghetto with, uh, you know, just like lots and lots of people. And I mean, even running water, it's like, Oh, what's this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Cause I remember, um, I have very vivid memories of bathing in the Creek. And, uh, I just remember the cold Creek that it was, the water was cold and I didn't want to wash my hair because it was cold. And I was just, you know, a little toddler. And I remember crying and I remember it, um, in such detail that I even know, like, I remember the smell of the shampoo. So like, if I smell that shampoo, that type of shampoo, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to take a bath in the Creek. <laughs> it's cold. And so it's like stuck with me my entire life. Yeah. But, but I will tell you, I love electricity and running water. Like, I love it. Like, I would not want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying, I love electricity. And we never think about these things because <laughs> we have electricity. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't have. Um, we had kerosene lamps or kerosene lanterns or whatever. So that was our light source. And uh, my mom has always been a really big fan of television. <laughs> so we did have a TV, but it was hooked to a car battery. So she could, she had her little black and white TV <laughs> with no electricity running off of a battery. <laughs> and I, I remember uh, her watching like Phil Donahue was an old talk show way back. And I remember her watching that in, in our kitchen in the past, people could survive well and happy with this yeah. lifestyle. But nowadays, if we wake up and we have no electricity, I think we start getting really stressed out. And Sarah, your new book, Invisible Monster. Yes. How did you come up with the idea to write this specific book? Uh I actually was going uh, through therapy. Uh, it's been about seven or eight years ago. Um, and my husband was a police officer at the time, but I've always liked to write. But when I was going through therapy, you know, and I had the evenings by myself because, you know, my kids were small still or younger still. And then my husband was at work. So I would just uh, journal. I was just writing more for therapy. Well, actually, let me rewind when I was in college, I had to write a paper and I did write my birth story, but which is kind of crazy because I was born in a log cabin and um, I did go, I talk about it in the book. I guess I can share that too. When the log cabin that I was born in, it was my parents' friends' log cabin. And then uh, my mom was pregnant and then the her friend, Sylvia, was pregnant at the same time. And it just so happened that I mean, we were going to be both born at home anyways, but when my mom went into labor, then the midwife was already at Sylvia's house because Sylvia was in labor too. So my dad and uh, mom just went to Sylvia's house and then um, my mom was set up in one room and then Sylvia was in the other room and they literally were birthing us at the exact same time. The midwife was running back and forth between the two rooms 
And we were both like, you know, physically coming out <laughs> at the same time, which we haven't seen each other since we were four, but her name's Emily. So she's kind of like my twin from, you know, another lifetime. Uh-huh. Uh, but okay. so I, I, I wrote about that when I was in college and I always, uh, I was 18 when I wrote that. And I was like, you know, this would be a really good book if I ever decide to do something with it. And then, so I always had that in the back of my mind. And then when I started um, journaling for therapy, you know, that's how I started it, you know, my birth story. And I wrote about half of it. And then I stopped because I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. I just, I, I didn't really know. I, I really didn't have a plan for it. I just knew that I was getting it out of my heart on paper, which I needed to do because, you know, it was buried for so long. It, it needed to come out. Well, actually it's been two years since I published, but right before I published, then um, some things happened with the monsters in my story. And I just couldn't, I had to share my story because I was afraid that if I didn't, then other people were going to be hurt. And I did not want that to happen. I can never live with myself if, if I didn't speak up at that particular time. So um, I, I got laid off. I, uh, that's when COVID hit and everything. So I lost my job and then I, I had time. So, you know, with this stuff that was going on, I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this book. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to publish it. I'm going to shout it to the world. I'm going to tell everyone what this monster did, because I don't know if you've read the book, but there, uh, a lot of sexual abuse in, in my story by the monsters and, um, by the one particular monster, but that monster is my brother and he was in the military. He retired from the military and he decided to go to um, physician's assistant school. And he, like, we were still kind of on talking terms. I didn't trust him, but, you know, like, I, we still communicated a little bit, but he told me that he was going to go into gynecology, which I don't know if you know what that is, but that's, you know, like vagina doctors, basically, you know, like, and he told me he was going to do that. And then, I kind of sat on that information for a little bit. I didn't say anything, didn't do anything. And then I saw him again. And then he told me that again, that he was going to, and I, I don't know if he really had that in his mind that he was going to do it, or if that was just a way to like mentally abuse me by like, you know, stirring up these feelings, or I I really don't know what his plan was, but whatever it was, he, you know, he told me this and I know he did not expect me to publish a book about him. (laughs) If he would have gone into gynecology and um, hundreds, thousands of people could have been abused by him. And, you know, just he, he has no business being in the medical field period. But when he told me that he was going to specialize in that, I just, I couldn't let it happen. So, so I published my book, uh, when I first um, was thinking about publishing, I was not going to use my real name. I was going to use a a fake name because, you know, just for whatever reason. But then after he told me that, then I said, I'm going to publish with my name. Everyone is going to know who I am. They're going to know who you are. So you can't do that. And so basically, um, I published because 
I didn't want him to, to abuse more people. I'm not to say that I am completely saving all of his future victims, but I like to think that it maybe at least made him think, well, maybe that's, maybe I shouldn't do that. So I, I hope that I scared him away from specializing mm-hmm. in that. And uh, so, but is he a doctor? No. He did graduate. I don't know exactly what he's doing. I hope that, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Since I published, I, have, I haven't communicated with either one of my parents or, um, or him. So I honestly don't know mm-hmm. what he's doing. I, I don't think, I know that he has to know that I published. And why did you choose this title? The reason I chose the title Invisible Monster is because um, my parents knew what was going on. You know, people knew what was happening, but it, you know, it was allowed. Like they, you know, like I, I know one time after I moved with my dad, then um, after an incident, then I like cried hysterically begging my dad, like, please kick him out. I, he can't live here. I cannot live with him. He is coming in my room at night and he is molesting me in my sleep. I cannot live with him. And my dad said, no, no, I'm not going to kick him out. So then, you know, just allowed it. But then it came out later that my dad actually is the same way. Like he, uh, more, a lot more mild, but whenever I started making the connections, I was like, okay, well, so no wonder he didn't care if, because he was abusing me and my sister and um and my dad was cool with it. He's like, "Oh, yeah. That's cool. Am I next kind of thing?" So the invisible part is because we we just lived our life and, you know, didn't like it was a secret. We didn't tell anybody, but we were experiencing this abuse, but then we would go to school and, you know, have our life and, you know, do whatever, but nobody knew what we were dealing with at home. So it really wasn't a visible monster. And he, and he did like when we were younger than when we didn't know better than, you know, he would like not do it when we were asleep, but when we were older and knew better then he would wait until we were asleep and then come into our room and do stuff like as, and so we would wake up to that. So he was really sneaky about it. When kids are in the situation, in most cases, they don't tell anyone because they are afraid, they feel guilty. And you've never thought about asking for help, for example, from your neighbors or other members of your family? Um, no, not really because, well, I didn't tell any friends, but my family knew about it. Like my grandparents you know, stuff happened when they were, when we were at their house and they knew about it, you know, so people knew about it. They will tell you now that they didn't know about it, but I think it's because they like feel guilty that they didn't stop it. You know, now that they see, like, I don't know, it was just a a deep family secret that everybody knew, but everybody was okay with it. And, and I was not. It's (laughs) unbelievable. It is. Your mom also, she she knew about it. She said, she said that it didn't really happen, but she was in denial too, just like every everybody else. They pretended like it didn't happen. But my brother, 
the reason he went to move with my dad is because my mom woke up to my brother molesting her in her sleep, you know, our mother, his own mother. So he was in fifth grade, which means I would, would have been in third grade. And then, um, he ended up going and living with our dad after that. But then, then it's kind of a long story, but then my dad was married at the time. And then, um, my brother went into their room and molested my stepmom while she was sleeping. So then my stepmom is the one that finally she's like, Hey, there's something wrong. And then he went to a detention home and then he went, he went into um, like a psychiatric home or whatever. And then he was in foster care for a little while, but this was all in West Virginia. And I still lived in Ohio at that point. So I didn't, I didn't live with him. I didn't see him much or anything, but then whenever he got out of the foster home, he lived in the foster home for a couple of years. Then he went back to live with my dad. And then my stepmom left him because, you know, she wasn't going to live with that. Like she wasn't going to deal with it. And then um, shortly after that, then my sister moved with my dad. She moved a little bit before I did because I did not want to go there. Like, not just because of my brother, um, I didn't want to go there because we also had a, a baby sister and I really did not want, like we had different dads and I did not want to leave my baby sister in Ohio, but I, everything is a long story, yeah, but we have to read this book. We yeah, read. So when I was 14, I ran away from my mom's house because, uh, she was accusing me of sleeping with her boyfriend, which was ridiculous because I was a 14 year old kid. And, um, I mean, obviously I wasn't having sex with anybody like, let alone her boyfriend, like that's weird, but yeah. So she accused me of sleeping with him and it was a really big ordeal. And I ended up running out of the house in the middle of the night. And, um, I had to move with my grandparents for a little while until school got out. And then once school got out, then my dad came and got me and I did not want to go. Like I, I begged my grandparents, can I please stay with you? I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. And then right when I got there, like within like the first night or two, um, he started molesting me again. At first he, he brought it up. He actually talked to me about it. Um, one night he was asking me, like, I think he was, like trying to get me to do stuff with him. And I was 14, you know, we were, he was 16. He asked if I remembered what we used to do in the woods when we lived in the log cabin, when we were really little. And, um, and that's what I was saying. Like he, like I didn't, when I was two years old, obviously I didn't know any better. Like my older brother said, here, do this. And I said, okay, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know anything. I didn't understand but then when I was 14 and I had to live with him again, then he said, you remember what we used to do in the woods? Like he wanted to do stuff with me. And, and I acted like I said, no, like I instantly said, no, I don't remember. I knew exactly what he was talking about, but I wasn't going to have that conversation. I was just like, no, I don't know what you're, you know, I don't remember. And then just kind of forgot about it. And then I fell asleep or I guess I didn't forget about it, but I fell asleep and then woke up to him molesting me in the middle of the night that night after he asked me to do stuff with him. 
And then it was just on from there. My sister that lived in West Virginia already, she was a very, very heavy sleeper. So I know that did a lot more to her just because she didn't wake up. Like I woke, I would like to think that I woke up every time. I hope that I woke up every time. I don't, I don't know if I did, but I know that she didn't wake up every time because she was a very, very heavy sleeper. And then our younger sister, she was almost eight years younger than me. She was a baby, you know, and so before he moved, I know that he severely, severely abused her. I wouldn't even be surprised if um, he had sex with her. And, and my, but the thing is like, he would ask my mom, can Danny sleep in uh, the bed with me? And my mom would let him or let her, let our baby sister sleep in the bed with him. Like, yeah. Yeah. Everything that was going on with you and your sister. Yeah. But she's, she's acted like she didn't know. I mean, I think it was easier to pretend like it didn't exist. And then uh, Danny, my baby sister, once I graduated high school, then she came to live with me and my husband, which we were not married then. And then I got guardianship of her. She was 13. And then um, she, she had a lot, a lot, a lot of problems, but you know, her, I mean, she was abused her entire life and my mom was very, very neglectful. Uh, she was a pretty severe alcoholic, spent all of her time at the bar. Like she just, you know, was not a good mother at all. So my husband and I had Danny and then she committed suicide when she was 19. Um, she sat down in front of an oncoming train and brother at her funeral asked me if it was his fault. And I, I mean, yeah, you played your part, stupid. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. But I believe that she she was 19. I understand. I mean, I wish that it didn't happen. Obviously, like, you know, it's it's 16 years later and it still takes my breath away. It still haunts me every single day of my life. But I know that she was hurting so bad, like um, because I know how bad I hurt and she had it so much worse than me, like so, so, so much worse than me. At least she had me, at least she had me to like, you know, take care of her, help her and everything. But, you know, just people just don't understand. Like people will say, well, why did she commit suicide? And then I'll say, um, do do your mom and dad love you? And they'll say, yeah. I'm like, okay, take that away. Like pretend, like just imagine your life. If you did not have a mother and father, like imagine how your life would be you know, a child, you know, I mean, her entire life, like my mom, when she was an infant, my mom would take her to the bar with her. And uh, so she, she'd be drinking with one of those little baby carriers on her back and have like my baby sister in her, in her the baby carrier. And then her dad, uh, he was, he was no good either. He, he was actually in prison multiple times throughout her life when she was an infant. I think the first time he went to prison was when she was a baby for uh, cocaine, I think. And then just off and on throughout her life, then he was in prison off and on. And then my aunt ended up taking her whenever I moved to West Virginia, because like I said, I did not want to leave her because I took care of her. And it, 
that was what was, that's why I didn't want to go. I did not want to leave her, but my aunt Karen promised me that she would take care of Danny and she did. So a couple more things happened and the children's services, the, the social workers were going to take, take her away from my mom and she was going to go into foster care. And then my aunt decided to, like, she promised me that she would take care of her. So then she went and lived with my aunt for a while. And then after a couple of years, because Danny did have a lot of problems. Uh, she was already doing drugs and having sex and everything. And she was like 12, 13 years old. Uh, she was very, very young. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't, she couldn't handle her anymore. So she took her back to my mom's house. And then that's when I got her because I was not okay with her living with my mom. Uh, it's a really sad story. And I feel so sorry for Benny and for you that you had to go through and also your sister who had to go through all these episodes and it's so so unfair. Sarah what has the response been like from your readers? Well that's actually what I was getting ready to say. Um, I could never understand why I went through all this until I published my book. When, after I wrote my book, like it all fell into place, like it made sense. I experienced all this so I could help other people. And so many people have come up to me and just thanked me for sharing my story and just told me how much my book helped. Like, I thought I was the only one, uh, you know, this, like this particular chapter, you know, I really, I understand that, that that chapter helped me or you wouldn't believe the number of monsters in the world. It's insane that like, it was really overwhelming at first, but just so many people reaching out to me and telling me I have monsters too. And, and thanked me, but it, well, it's been, like I said, it's been two years and it has been very emotional. It's been, it's been difficult for sure. Putting my story out there. Now I don't, you know, I kind of orphaned myself and not that I had some great relationship with my parents, but that like, I don't have that now at all. I haven't spoken to either one of them since I published my book. And, um, you know, there has been times when I'm like, I can't, like, I kind of wish that I didn't do that. I wish I could take it back. But then something like yesterday I was at work and somebody came in and told me that she works with, um, sexual assault victims. And she read my book and she's using my book to do her group therapy. And then she just was so grateful. She said that these girls, their age, age range from 18 to 21. And, and I am changing their lives through my book. She's going to find out for sure, but I might go speak to her group. My mantra is fuck the monsters because um, like I would start to feel, I would start to feel a little down, like, you know, I can't believe I did that. And then, then I stopped myself. I'm like, wait a minute. They're the ones that did it. I just wrote what they did. Fuck them, the monsters. So that that's kind of given me strength throughout. And then, um, when she told me that yesterday, she said, one of the, one of the girls that read my book, her new catchphrase is fuck the monsters. So like (laughs) it's catching on. And, um, I do have a lot of people saying it, but just that, you know, this small group of sexual assault victims that I didn't even know when they're reading my book and I'm changing their lives by sharing my story. And you are powerful. 
this book will help many, many, many people. It's empowering. You know, you need to spread the word about your story and I will help you to spread oh, this. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> of course. And I remember you also mentioned that you were diagnosed with PTSD. Yes. Of course. With all what happened with you, it's it's something that we could expect. So yeah. can you share more about how this has affected your life and how you have been able to manage your PTSD symptoms? Well, I actually was not diagnosed until I started writing the book. That that was around the same time. And then um, I actually was happy that I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I know that sounds strange because, you know, people don't want to have PTSD, but I just felt like I was crazy. Like, and then when um, I was, t I mean, I, I do have other things I have in general, generalized anxiety. I'm pretty sure I have ADHD and like all this other stuff, but, um, but the PTSD, it was almost comforting because it was like, oh, okay, this is an injury. I can fix this. You know, just the generalized anxiety or ADHD. You can't like, that's, you know, you can't fix that. That's just in, you know, that's there, but PTSD, it, I was injured which means I can fix it and change it and it can go away. So when I, um, when I was told that, then I was like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> like, yes, like, oh, I can fix this. This gives me something to work with. But I guess symptoms of PTSD that I experience, I do, I sleep horrible. Like I, I have so much trouble sleeping. Sometimes I sleep better than others, but, um, that's something that I've struggled with for lots and lots of years, but we're vulnerable when we sleep. Like uh, my baby sister, Danny, when she was a baby, I slept with her in my arms. Like I literally like, you know, we slept in the bed. If she was crying at night then, and she was in her crib, then I would just get in her crib and like cuddle up with her and, you know, comfort her or whatever. And then she slept in my arms until I moved to West Virginia when I was 14. Then the same thing when I had my uh, when we had our boys, I slept with him in my arms. Like I, like I could not, you know, monsters were going to get my babies. Like I had to protect them. Like I had to keep them safe. And of course they're older now, but, but I still have a lot of trouble sleeping. It's I'll just, I wake up like this morning, I woke up around three and I just laid in bed for an hour and couldn't go back to sleep. So then I went and laid on the couch and turn on the TV at four in the morning, I eventually fell back asleep, but sleep that that's a big thing with me. And then also, I guess like social anxiety, I get a lot of that, which a lot of times I'm better than others, but I've had a lot of trouble um, working in like an office environment. Like when I was younger, when I was in college and stuff, I delivered pizzas. So I was in my car by myself my job before, like when the boys were little, I was, I worked from home and I was on the computer. Then the job that I got laid off of, that was a home uh, for COVID. That was a work from home job. That was a really good job. And then uh, I couldn't find a replacement job whenever my unemployment ran out. So then I went and worked in a law firm and spent a about 
um, a little bit over a year, about a year and a half ago. And uh, I literally cried every single day. I mean, somebody was mean there, but it's like, I, I can't deal with, I just can't deal with that stuff. I don't like, and I know that, you know, office environments, and I know that, you know, out in the real world, there's always going to be people that, that rub you the wrong way or are rude or mean or whatever. But, but I just, I don't know why I, it, like, I can't handle it. I'm too sensitive. I uh, take everything personal and I feel responsible for everything. Like anything bad that happens, I feel like it's my fault. Things like that, that, (laughs) but I, I'm working through it. I, um, I don't work at that job anymore. I'm, you know, trying to focus on my photography. I, I do have a part-time job that I like. I like the people that I'm around and stuff, but, um, was actually when I left the law firm, I was actually, um, going to try to get disability for PTSD because like, I just, I didn't, I just can't work in that environment. And, and it's because my brain's too broken. I just, I cannot do it. And, um, I ended up not doing it, not getting disability. I don't know. I I still struggle. I struggle every day. Some days are better than others. I couldn't be more thankful for you to share your story with me, with us, with our audience. And having PTSD, as I told you in your case, is something that was expected because you suffered trauma it was very traumatic for you your entire life I mean at least during your childhood but uh, don't don't feel guilty don't feel that you are different because we are all different we react in a different way to different things I also have ADHD (laughs) just for (laughs) you to feel better (laughs) (laughs) mine's undiagnosed but I actually, whenever I was looking into getting the um, disability, then I got all my medical records and I, I don't know if she told me, but the, the person that diagnosed me with PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder and, you know, all the other stuff I saw on the notes, she was evaluating me for ADHD. And I was like, huh, like, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But my sister, she has ADHD, but she is like, eh, you know, like, like hyper, very, 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 very hyper, like extreme. So when she was diagnosed, everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, of course you have that. But then um, I'm more of a, mine's more internal. Like, I mean, I do get hyper, but my brain is just like, you know, like nonstop, which yeah. is probably why I don't sleep well. Yeah. For sure, me too. I'm I'm not hyper, but my brain doesn't stop thinking. And you are helping people. You wrote about a secret because it was a secret. It was for you and your family. I mean, between you and your family, it is something very painful. And I really appreciate the fact that you are here today. I want to ask you. If you would like to leave a message to our listeners today. I would like everyone to know that they're not alone. There are so many monsters in the world and you do not have to accept the abuse. 
I don't care if your parents, parents don't do anything about it, then tell somebody else, uh, tell teacher, tell a police officer, tell anybody, like, if this person doesn't listen, go to the next person, keep telling somebody until somebody does something about it. Because no matter what your parents tell you, that is not normal. (laughs) It is not normal. And uh, I guess my main thing that I want people to know is that life can get better. Like my younger sister, Danny, she committed suicide when she was 19. She could have gotten better, you know, like life, like she was in so much pain. But when I think about myself, when I was 19, like I am so much mentally healthier now than I was then. And, uh, and life can get better. And just because you do have a difficult childhood does not mean that you have to suffer your entire life. I didn't want to let my uh, past dictate my future. So I, I personally decided to create a beautiful life. I wasn't going to let those monsters ruin my life. And that's what I did. You can do whatever you want. You do not have to let the monsters define you. Yes. Totally. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Sarah, where can our listeners find you in this book, Invisible Monster Online? It is. My book is on Amazon. It's uh, just Invisible Monster by Sarah Hayes. But I also have a Facebook page for Invisible Monster and that you should be able to find me at just Invisible Monster. I have a just a personal page that I talk about my book on Instagram, just Sarah R. Hayes. But so mainly just Facebook, uh, Invisible Monster on Facebook. Yes, and I'm going to add it to the headlines of the episode. So everybody's going to be able to connect with you, check your okay. website. Also, you will be featured in the Relatable Voice magazine in July. So more and more people will be, yes, of course, knowing about your story and your book. I just want to tell you, come back whenever you feel like you want to, you have something to tell us, you have good things to inspire people and that you can write another book, but maybe with a beautiful story. (laughs) Awesome. My book, it does have a lot of the bad stuff in it, but there's a lot of good stuff in there too. If it was just all bad stuff, like that would be a horrible book, you know, with a bad ending. But the way that I wrote it, I did sprinkle, you know, my happy memories in there too, because I didn't want it to be overwhelming. I ended it with where I am now, which I'm in a really good place, you know, with the modeling. And then I published my book and you know, I have a successful family. You know, my husband has a good career. Uh, we've been together for a long time. We have two wonderful children and I, I created this beautiful life. And I, you know, I talk about it in my book a lot. So you kind of see the progression of like, you know, all this stuff, but then you see how I kind of turned it around and didn't let it affect me and how I got where I am today. So it, it does have a very happy ending. Yes, I'm sorry, it's not over. I'm I'm still here. I plan on being here for a long time. <laughs> yes, and you're so pretty, so so smart, and so your story is empowering because you went through all these problems and you are now here happy and have amazing kids. Oh yes. 
Yes. yes. A lovely husband and a successful author and photographer. Actually, yes. I love your pictures. I was checking it. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. So, Sarah, it was a pleasure. It was very nice meeting you. And next time you're in uh, Pittsburgh, definitely let me know because I'll drive up and meet you. For sure. Have lunch because I talk to Christina almost every day of my life. So (laughs) I was like, hey, that's why she had to reschedule the podcast because she's up there with my friends. That (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) We meet meet up all together in Pittsburgh. Maybe you can take my pictures as well. Yes, I would love to. I would love to. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.